You're listening to the Vol Basketball Fever Podcast, your source for news, discussion, and debates about the Vols and Lady Vols basketball programs. We're available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, and everywhere else podcasts are found. Hello, everyone, and welcome in to another episode of the Vol Basketball Fever Podcast. I am Nathaniel Rutherford, joined by Gene Henley once again, who is on the road. So his, his call may sound a little different than normal, but we appreciate him hopping on here and, and doing this uh, on a Thursday night here as we're talking in between games for the Tennessee basketball. Because, Gene, the Vols are in action, now getting their biggest test of the season so far this weekend. We'll get to that here in just a second. First of all, I want to thank all of you who are tuning into this episode. We really appreciate it. If you're first time here, welcome in. You can find us everywhere podcasts are found. That's Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts. You name it, we're there. You can go subscribe to the show today. Leave us a review, a five-star review on Apple Podcasts if you can. And also go find us on social media. We're on Twitter at Vol Hoops Fever. And uh, on Twitter there and on Facebook, we're at Vol Basketball Fever. So go follow us on Twitter. Go give us a like on Facebook. Uh, give us some feedback. And let us know what you think of the show. But Gene, right before we get into Tennessee's matchup with Villanova this weekend, I, I wanted to look back and give a little bit of uh, uh, some thoughts just briefly <clears throat> on the game itself when Tennessee beat UTSU 94-62. A, a very efficient game, a very good offensive game for Tennessee, but not, not a record-setting performance from three in that game like you saw in the first game against UT Martin, but Tennessee still did end up hitting double-digit threes the first time I looked it up, the first time since the 1920 season that they had back-to-back games where they hit uh, double-digit threes. So that's, again, I, I think the offense is going to be a little different than it has been in years past. We did see Fulgerson get back in action to make his season debut. Uh, you know, could tell he's a little rusty, but he didn't look bad. Uh, six points, I want to say, uh, I think nine rebounds, ten rebounds. I can't remember how many rebounds he had exactly without looking at the box score. Um, but not a bad performance at all by him. Then you saw Olivier Camwa. I'm, I, before we get into the main th- thoughts I wanted to get uh, about this game, uh, Gene, I got I got to hear you about your, your guy Olivier because he went out and had a great game with 23 points, eight boards, uh, hit another three. What, what, what's your uh, what are your takeaways from Olivier in the first couple games of the year? Because he, he's had a pretty good start here to the, the the season so far. You know, when I was covering, you know, when I was covering Tennessee full time, a lot of people would yell, yeah, about the Rick Barnes development program. They did it with with Grant Williams, with Admiral Schofield, everybody that was a key member of that Sweet 16 team. Mm -hmm. So many people brought up the Rick Barnes development program. But then, because Olivier didn't give you immediate results, Josiah Jordan-James didn't give you immediate results, so many players didn't give you immediate results in that 19-20 season, everybody was like, oh, well, you know, what, what happened? And then obviously last year nobody really took a jump, you know, either. So yeah, everybody said, "Well, what happened to the Rick Barnes development program?" Well, what do you have to say now? Now again, look, it's a very small sample, but he's been he's been good in the two games that they've played. The three games, I'm sorry. Yeah, in, in the games that they played, yeah, two games. I was mm-hmm. right. Mm-hmm. In the two games they played, he's been good. Twenty three and eight Sunday against ETSU. I get it. Technically, it's a lower-level opponent uh, in terms of – I don't think the gaps are that different between in, in basketball, between, say, a Tennessee and an ETSU. 
I just don't. I mean, so many times now, just look around, look around the country, and you, you see, you know, quote unquote, mid majors beating power fives all the time. I mean, it's George. I mean, Georgia struggles. Uh, Citadel beat Pitt. Um, Furman beat Louisville, and they got beat by Belmont. Um, so, well, Furman got beat by Belmont. So, like this, this league. Uh, I'm sorry. So there's not that much of a gap in between, like the, the power fives as you would measure things in basketball, in, in football. But, the, like, what he did, because, I mean, at times he's, look, he's as good of a player on the court. He's, as, he's the best player on the court not named Kennedy Chandler right now. He just is. That could change. Obviously, we'll figure that out as we go. But as of now, he's playing great basketball. And look at what happens when a kid has a full offseason to work on and develop his game and he feels more comfortable in the position that he's actually playing as to you know as opposed to playing a position that he may not feel comfortable in which kind of was the case seemingly before i mean like he's outside he's you know he's stepping out he's hitting shots he's the player that i saw play eastern new mexico state or whatever it was called in the exhibition game back in the 2019-20 season and look i'm happy for him i mean like the kid deserves it, like, you know, I understand Tennessee has been starved for somebody to kind of, put, you know, for them to kind of throw all their weight behind in basketball and kind of become that. So when some of these juniors, I guess they, or I guess they're, yeah, these third-year players who have been in the program, uh, when they didn't, you know, give you immediate results, there was frustration. But now you're starting to see why Rick is who he is as a coach. You're starting to see all of that stuff come to fruition, and it's crazy. Yeah, he's looked. I've said it on Twitter, and and we've talked about it on the show multiple times. Like the the biggest thing he needed, and the biggest thing we talked about, like you heard from practice reports this off season, was confidence. Like it, it never looked like he was confident in himself when he had the ball in his hands the first two years. I think that's been the biggest difference. Is he looks he doesn't look scared anymore with the ball in his hands. He doesn't look unsure of himself. He doesn't look like he he doesn't have a lot of hesitation anymore. And He's really crashing the board. I mean, there, there were several times against ETSU uh, in particular where he would fly in there for rebounds. So it wasn't just like the ball, you know, bounced to him and landed right in his hands. Like he had to go in there and fight for it. And, and granted, you know, ETSU doesn't have the post presence of, of some of these teams since he's going to play in the, SEC, in the SEC, especially. But like you said, like I don't think that there's as big of a discrepancy in talent and overall roster from ETSU and Tennessee as there would be in, in football, for example. Um, but I, I will be interested to see this this weekend against Villanova. Nova has more, uh, I guess, like Tennessee, they have, I think, stronger guard play than they do post play overall, but still they're going to have higher quality bigs than what, what Kamal's gone up against so far this season. But I've been very impressed with him at the beginning of this year, and like you said, it, it, he just he finally had a full off season other than his freshman year. And he finally had a full off season, like you said, to also get comfortable with other stuff that was being asked of him. Maybe this offensive system, the way it is now is also helping him out more, but um, I've been, I've been pretty impressed with his start so far to the year. And I, I think I first kind of scoffed internally when you said that he's, he's the second best player. He's the best player on the court. That's not named Kennedy Chandler, but I got to thinking, I was like, I mean, you may be right. I, I don't Powell doesn't have the defense. He's a really, really good shooter but he doesn't have the defense you'd like to see from a guy who with his build. James obviously is the kind of do-it-all guy for Tennessee, but his offense still is, is not you know where he wants to be. He had a better offensive game 
Higgins ETSU, but still not, you know, not enough to where I'd say that he is for sure the bona fide second best player on the court. But Scobie's offense, his three-point shooting has been really bad to start this year. I think that'll obviously change, but it's been odd to see his shooting be so off um, here in the first couple games. And also, go back to the exhibition, too, I'm pretty sure he didn't, he didn't shoot super well there either. Um, but his, his shot has not fallen the way it normally does. I think he, I think he ended up finishing, I think, maybe 6-11 from three in the first game, if I, if I remember correctly, but he didn't start out very hot in that one. Uh, but Fulgerson, obviously, Rusty, I wouldn't say second best right now. Huntley Hatfield, not second best. So I, I was, I, I, said, I scoffed at first, but I thought, you know, I think you may be right. And like you said, that can change here in the next month or two. But right now, I think he is. And I think the other guy who you, we both have mentioned, Kenny Chandler, is easily bona fide the, the best player on, on Tennessee's team right now. And I don't know that's going to change any as the season goes along. That gets me to the the second point I want to get here in reviewing of ETSU and just kind of the the first couple games of the year, and that was after the game. Desmond Oliver, uh, former Tennessee assistant under Rick Barnes, who's now the head coach at ETSU, uh, he was talking to the media and stuff. Uh, first of all, he mentioned he said Tennessee is pretty good. He said they're probably the best team, uh, Tennessee team I've seen since that Grant Williams and Admiral Schofield team that won 31 games, the one that was that was number one in the country uh, for about a month there, which I would agree just because by default the last two Tennessee teams haven't been you know, anywhere close to as good as those two teams were, so I, I think he's right about that. But other things he had to say about Kennedy Chandler I thought were even more interesting. He said, quote, Kennedy Chandler is the best point guard I have seen in this building. Jordan Bone was pretty good. We had some good ones. Lamonte Turner was pretty good two years ago. But I have not seen anything like that. He reminds me of a young Kyrie Irving. He said, I like the matchup. There was no one on the court that... I felt like in this matchup, there was no one on the court that could slow him down. He had shot-making, pace of play, hang time in the lane, and taking contact. And then later on, um, he was again talking about Chandler. He said, I started watching him dribble through people and drop dimes and make threes. And I'm sitting there saying, wow, name a point guard in America who is better than him. And I always tell people that if a name doesn't come up real fast, then there isn't any. Anytime that a guy is considered the best in the country at something, you're pretty elite. You're pretty elite. So those are uh, some pretty, that's a pretty strong comparison. Obviously, you know, Kyrie Irving didn't have like a, a super decorated college career. He only played, I think, 11 games for Duke. Yeah, the stat line, 11 games for Duke. But in those 11 games, he averaged 17.5 points, basically 4.5 uh, assists it was 46% from three I mean Kenny Chandler so far the season Gene has been phenomenal it, going back even to the exhibition game I, I know those obviously don't count uh, towards your season totals but just this season in the two regulation games that Tennessee has played or two regular season games excuse me that Tennessee's played he's already Tennessee's leading scorer 18 points per game five assists three rebounds a steal and a half and he's hitting uh 85, 86% from three because he's only missed one three all season. He's six of seven from three. Uh, he's missed one three so far in his first two games. He's perfect from the free throw line. He's 13 of 19 on field goal attempts. Gene, I, I, I mean, it's pretty strong praise to compare him to Kyrie Irving, who is a, a, the rookie of the year in the NBA in his first year, though, so you can kind of look at an extended Kyrie Irving his one year in college and his first year in the NBA. He was the rookie of the year there. Pretty strong praise compared to Kyrie Irving, but I mean, Des Oliver has been around basketball long enough to know, and he's seen a lot of good players. I, I, that's strong praise, but I'm I'm inclined to believe it from from Des Oliver. I think that's uh, <laughs> I've been particularly wowed by some of the things I've seen Kenny Chandler do, and he he looks like he is every bit of the five star he was coming out of high school so far. And again, it's it's against UT Martin, ETSU, but Gene, he's he's the 
I, I said it on Twitter, he's the most purely talented player Tennessee's had in a long time. Like you, you could point back to maybe Tobias Harris, but even I, I could say maybe even go further back than that and say maybe even Allen Houston in terms of just pure talent and just kind of playmaking and, and shot creating ability that that Kenny Chandler has. Yeah, and I, I I do think I do think that the the Kyrie Irving the Kyrie Irving comparison is fair when I heard what he said because at first I was like, eh. but when he started talking about body control in the air and shot making ability, those are two things. Like there may not be a better player in the NBA in terms of just like body control and t- and finishes like you know being able to finish with both hands uh, and, and all those all those little nuanced things. Um, he's playing great, man. I mean, like, that's – you get the number one point guard in the country, this is what you would expect. Mm-hmm. Um, like, it, because, again, point guard and – point guard's one of those quick, easily translatable positions, especially if you go to the right system because the coach will just kind of basically say – what made you great? Go do that immediately. Like that's why other positions, uh, you know, we've harped uh, a lot about like the big and stuff like that. And that's why that's different. Like depending on what you're asking of these freshmen when they come in, if you just ask them to go out there and be who they are, that's pretty easy. Pretty easy for Rick Barnes plus Kenny Chandler and say, "Here's our system. Here's the ball. Go, you know, bring it home." And because that's that's what you. That's what he did at Memphis. That's what what he's done everywhere. It's gone and been great. And so he gets the opportunity to do that. And so, you know, through these first two games plus the exhibition game, he's been every bit of that. I've been, like, I don't want to, like, just sit here and and this just be a Kennedy Chandler praise podcast but hey i also wouldn't mind that end to be the case because i think he i think he deserves it like he, he he to me is just been mightily impressive and in, in two games again I, i'm going to be very very interested to see what he does uh this weekend against villanova and then potentially you know whether it's purdue or unc whoever else they play um but i think you know the competition about to ramp up we're about to see what he's going to do against some better defenses and and, and and just better teams um overall but I, I also think, looking ahead uh, to a, a couple other matchups or a couple other teams that Tennessee is going to play, Gene, there's going to be some very fun point guard play um, in in the SEC this year when Tennessee goes up against, for example, uh, Kentucky with Severe Wheeler or you know slash Ty Ty Washington. Like that's going to be a very fun matchup to watch those guys go at it and see what. Um, Candy can do against those teams, and and I think I want to say Villanova has a pretty good point guard too. That could be wrong. Um, trying to see who their point guard technically is. Well, they have a couple of guys that I think play kind of a point uh, combo guard. You have Justin Moore, who's their leading scorer, and then Colin Gillespie, who's uh, also a guard. Who's both? They're both from the same height. If I had to guess, I would say I, I haven't watched Nova play besides the very end of their blowout win against Howard the other night. But um, if I had to guess, I would say. Actually, I really don't know. They're they're both built similarly. Gillespie shoots more threes. So I've had to guess he's probably the shooting guard. But still, like either way, um, it's going to be very fun to see how he does. How he does, goodness, how he does, and how Tennessee's guards do in general against Villanova. And I think that's a, a kind of a good transition point here, going off of Kenny Chandler and, and looking ahead to this weekend's matchup on Saturday against Villanova. 
Gene, this is a team that is one of the best offensive teams in the country in, in Villanova. I think they're, uh, if I look up the, the Ken Palm here really quickly, these two teams actually, Tennessee and, and Nova, are like neck and neck in the Ken Palm. Nova's 10th, Tennessee's 11th. Villanova's offensive uh, efficiency right now by on, uh, on Ken Palm, third in the nation. Only Gonzaga and Purdue, who Tennessee could also play, uh, are ranked above them in offensive efficiency on Ken Palm. This is going to be a very fun game, I think. I think it's going to be a game that you're going to see both teams get into the 80s. I, I personally think so. Uh, Nova comes in this game averaging 89.3 points per game, giving up 72.7. Obviously, their only loss so far has been to the number two team in the country at UCLA in overtime. Uh, lost 86-77 to UCLA. They beat Mount St. Mary's 91-51 to start the year. And then they just beat Howard 100-81. So they've gotten 90 points and 100 points against you know lower-level schools. But still, they, they put up 77 against UCLA in what was a, a pretty fun matchup in that one in, in the Poly Pavilion uh, there. This is going to be... Uh, goodness, I just forgot where this game's taking place at. Let me pull it up really quickly. But this is going to be a, a really fun matchup, I think. And one that... Again, I don't, you know, it's not going to be the end of the world if Tennessee loses this game. You would love to win this game, but at the same time, like, I, I'm almost in the same boat that you would like to, I think, you know, I want Tennessee to win this game. It would be great if they did, but you're almost, I, I I'd almost could say, like, make the argument that you would rather take an early, tough loss to really test yourself and, and find out about yourself and expose yourself rather than maybe win and then not expose anything about yourself and then come December or come January, February, and all of a sudden that's when you get exposed. That's almost almost kind of how I, I view that 18-19 team that, you know, they got there also, the, you know, really that early big win against uh, Gonzaga. But I guess but before that point they had lost to Kansas, so I guess maybe that point's not exactly right either. But this could also, to build, you know, but up that point there, this could be the, an early season win that kind of, I guess, kind of, bonds this team together and gives them the confidence boost to say, hey, yeah, we do belong. We just beat a top five team in the Hall of Fame tip-off tournament. It's up in Connecticut, that's right, um, which is going to be basically a home game for uh, Nova. But, Gene, I, this is an important game. It's not the most important game of the season for, for Tennessee. I guess technically it is because it's the next game, but whatever, to do some coach speak. Um, but I think this is going to be a really fun matchup. It's at 1 o'clock Eastern on, on Saturday. I... I'm very excited for this game, and I, I think it's I, – I don't think Tennessee wins, only because I think Villanova's offense is just really, really good. Now, I mean, I think Tennessee's offense is really good too, but Villanova is just on a different level right now. They're, they're hitting, as a team, almost 50% of their threes, 48.8%. That's the fourth-best three-point shooting percentage in the nation right now. They're averaging over 13 threes made per game, and, of course, so is Tennessee. Uh, but Tennessee is making 43% of their threes, which is top 30. So I, I wonder how many threes we're going to end up seeing in this game. But Tennessee also better not foul because, oh my gosh, I don't know if you saw the stat line from the game, Gene, but Villanova was a perfect 26 of 26 from their free throw line in their win over Howard. So Tennessee better be careful about their fouling because if they foul Villanova, they go to the line. I mean, it's almost a guarantee that they're making their, their free throws. I'm looking down the, the line here. They have a couple of guys who have missed one or are perfect on the season. They've, they've attempted 55 free throws and have missed six the entire year so far, Gene, in three games. I mean, that's extremely impressive. That, that's, a, that's how you know this team is solid in their fundamentals. 
they've missed six of a potential 55 free throws all season. So Tennessee better be very careful. You know, you can't have those Oroche we've talked about on the show. You can't have Oroche making those those really bad early fouls where he comes in the game and immediately makes a foul. You can't have that. You can't have Huntley Hatfield making a, a bunch of freshman mistakes and, and you know getting fouled there either. You're, like we talked about last podcast, you can't have your bigs getting in foul trouble to where you can only rely on one, maybe two. And then maybe this is a game where Tennessee has a little bit more of a small ball lineup anyway because I've, I've looked at Nova. They really only play six guys. They, they play a seventh and an eighth, but you have six guys averaging uh, – really you have four guys averaging 30 minutes or more and two other guys averaging 28 and 22, and everyone else is 13 or below. So, I mean, they play six guys and they play a seventh and eighth kind of, but they don't have a big interior presence. They have Eric Dixon, who's 6'8", 260, and then everyone else is like 6'7", 6'6", six, six, but they're like less than 230 pounds. So like, they don't have like a, a big, big guy and, and, and you know down low that you really, I think, have to worry about a ton. So Tennessee could probably get away with playing some more small ball lineup. But I've talked enough here, Gene. I was going to toss it off to you a second ago when I made some point. And I forgot what it was. But I, I just think this game is going to be very high scoring. And I, I don't know that either defense is going to be um, equipped enough to slow down this off these offenses enough to keep this game from being under... I guess over under combined of like 160, 170, something like that. I just think it's going to be a, a fun kind of back and forth high scoring game. Yeah, I think what's good is like this is not a game where your interior depth or whatever is going to really be challenged. Uh, that's not how Villanova's really been built for some time now. Even their championship teams, uh, I think they're big with guys like uh, Eric. I can't remember Sammy played for the Warriors recently. Um, mm, yeah couple years ago may, may still be a warrior but uh, I mean Pascal you know when guys like yeah. that are your big just more six eight six nine grimy sorts of guys um I, like that this is not a game that you're that is going to be tested you can go with Fulkerson you can go with Kamwa you know Huntley Hatfield get him into the mix maybe if you have him mean, I don't know if it's a game that Euros play I'm not sure this is a game you can play Euros um and like that's just one of those things it's not necessarily a, a a knock on them. It's just I don't know if there's a good matchup for them. That's gonna that would make it tougher for a guy like that to get on the court. Um, but yeah, I mean, like, I think this is and I guess conversely, this is also what I can also say is that this is also a game where, um, like, I still have concerns about Tennessee's ability to score um, when the threes aren't falling because I think they've shot over. 40% in both games from three, but I think they've also, they're have also they also shooting they're shooting almost the same percentage from two-point range and three-point range this year. And that, to me, is a little bit concerning because they've been somewhat lopsided games. And I kind of would prefer you to be a little bit more... If you're shooting 45% from three, you need to be shooting around 50-something percent from the field. Because mm-hmm. twos are easier, typically easier shots to make than threes especially when the teams you played are pretty overmatched for the most part and you can kind of get easier baskets there. Um, I don't know. I don't know if Villanova will challenge that. Like Villanova's good. It's, I mean, they were champions, what, two years ago, three years ago. Hadn't been that long ago. And so like, I, I think this is the sort of game where I'm watching to see just how they, how that stuff gets managed. This weekend, as a whole, be good. That messed up the schedule. Like there was a pretty high. I don't think there was a Gonzaga game that was, but like, still be a pretty good game last year. 
Obviously, you have the, the brand name in North Carolina and Villanova, but you, you look at the Ken Palm rankings. I already mentioned it. Purdue's number four, Nova's number ten, Tennessee's eleven. Uh, kind of surprisingly, North Carolina's number fifty-two. Their 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 ranking does not match up with kind of the national perception of them. They've also kind of struggled to start this year, so it's not like that surprising to me that they've won all their games with three zero, but it's not been a very pretty three zero. But again, look at the offenses in this. <laughs> at least early on, the the offenses in this. Um, in this field here, you have I mentioned already. Purdue is number two in the in the uh, adjusted ranking by Ken Palm. Villanova is number three. Tennessee is number twenty-three, and North Carolina is number seventeen. So like you're gonna have a lot of offense. Like I I would be shocked if, th- if these games were lower scoring or unless a, a team was just off and you wasn't their shots weren't falling. But regardless of who Tennessee plays on Sunday, again I, I expect it to be somewhat like the Villanova matchup where I, I expect it to be a, a higher scoring game because. There's some very potent offenses. You have four of the top 25 offenses, at least early on in the season, in this preseason or not preseason, but this early season tournament. So it's going to be, it's going to be very fun, I think. And I, it does also going to be a really good test of Tennessee's defense. We, we've already talked about how this defense doesn't seem to be as locked down or as you know as as tough and as hard to score on as the last couple years of defenses for Tennessee. This is going to put to the test. You know, this Villanova offense is not to be scoffed at. Uh, the Purdue offense is not to be scoffed at, and in North Carolina can put up some points too. Um, and Gene, to your point about you know the the two point shooting percentage being similar to the three point shooting percentage, both these teams kind of have that that kind of thing here. It's Nova's a little bit better just overall, but you're right. Like Tennessee's three point shooting percentage is forty two point nine percent. Their two point field goal percentage is forty five point five percent. Villanova's is 48.8% from three. Gosh, that's incredible. I know it's just three games, but still. Uh, their two-point shooting percentage is 51.6. So, again, like that, theirs is better overall, and they've just been a more efficient uh, shooting team than Tennessee has overall. Um, but both these teams have been really high-volume scoring teams, and both these teams are shooting a uh, pretty good amount. Actually, Villanova doesn't shoot a ton of shots. I think some of, some of their scoring has been uh, buoyed by the fact that they played an overtime game and stuff like that. But that, I, I remember watching the tail end of their game against Howard, and they were closing in on 100, and the announcer said, yeah, this is for this is a team that doesn't, like, it's something like long, long lines of this is the, the slowest uh, possession team I've seen get to 100 points ever, maybe, or something like that. They, they don't play with a high sense of urgency. They don't play with a high tempo. I mean, Tennessee doesn't play with the highest tempo. You know, they're not 
running up and down the court all the time, but Tennessee's playing this year with more of a pace than they have uh, really in the Rick Barnes era that I can think of. Maybe maybe the 18-19 team play with a little bit of pace, but even then they, they like to do a lot of half-court sets, and this team does too, but they're playing with more pace than I've seen Tennessee play with in a while. Um, this Villanova team is only averaging 59 field goal attempts per game, where Tennessee's averaging 75 and a half field goal attempts per game. That's third most in the country, goodness. Um, so, I mean, again, Villanova's not – their adjusted tempo on Kim Palm is 337th in the country, whereas Tennessee is 165th, which so Tennessee is like, kind of like in the middle, and Villanova's on the very near the bottom. There's, I think, what, 350-something teams, 358 teams in Division One basketball in the rank, 337th in, in tempo right now on Ken Palm. So that kind of shows you kind of the difference in the, in the tempo. But again, it's not effective Villanova because they've been very efficient so far uh, from the field and, 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 and offense. And like I said, they, they have four guys who play 30 minutes, and all four of those guys are averaging over 16 points a game. Justin Moore, 19 points a game. Colin Gillespie, 17.3. Brandon Slater, 16.7, and Jermaine Samuels at 16. And then their their other starter, Eric Dixon, is averaging nine points and six boards. Um, and he is, yeah, he's the big guy. He's the six foot eight, 260 guy that I mentioned, the, the, the one kind of big guy you have to worry about um, for them. So, Gene, I, like you said, I, I think this is a game that it's good that Tennessee's forward depth isn't going to get tested. I, I think you're right. I think this is a game where I don't know that you see Urosh play a whole lot. And that's not because, like you said, it's not a slide against him. I just don't know that you, like, I don't know that you need him in this game unless you have two posts in foul trouble and then you're only, you, you only have really Huntley Hatfield and him that can play. But even then, I think you maybe play more small ball rather than trying to trying to always have two forwards on the court. But whatever it is, uh, I'm, I'm very excited, and I think it's going to be a very good test, a very good matchup this weekend. And I'll probably have – I'm hoping by the time this podcast is out and by the time a lot of you are listening to it, Hopefully by then I'll, I'm going to have something up and ready to go here for uh, Vol Basketball Fever. Where hopefully I have some video content for you guys on. Maybe if it's just on Twitter or Facebook, we'll see. But maybe have a little video breakdown of, of me kind of breaking things down, talking to you guys about um, the matchup with Villanova specifically. Because again, don't know about UNC or Purdue yet. Um, but I, 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 I'm very excited for this game. If I haven't said that enough at this point already. <laughs> um, but I, I can't wait to see what Kenny Chandler can do. I'd be interested to see if Escobie can kind of get things going and, and what ten, what Olivia Campbell can do against – because I think he's definitely going to be matched up. Him and, and Fulkerson will be matched up with the Dixon kid. And then Jermaine Samuels, a 6'7", 230, which I think could be a very – it poses an interesting um, potential matchup there with Campbell, who's listed at 6'8", 225, or around there uh, for him. So I think that could be – that that's gonna be interesting because it, it just help you know how well does Ferguson move around? He he looked pretty rusty again, like I said in his first game back. Uh, six points, ten boards for him. I don't know. There's not really a whole lot I feel like Gene we can say about Folky, so I'm gonna just kind of move it along. Well, I think this we'll know a lot more this weekend after he plays some more. But um, I think that that'll be kind of all we talk about here right now for the men's team. I, I kind of want to move on just re- really quickly. This will be a little bit of a quicker podcast than we normally have, but I know Gene is on the road, so I don't want to keep him too long. Um, but, Gene, I want to get your thoughts on the Lady Vols. I've had a couple. We finally were able to launch the Lady Vols Basketball Fever podcast. I've been very excited about that. Had Maria Cornelius on as the, the guest on the first episode. And then had Cora Hall, who writes for Knox News Sentinel, on in the second episode. But, Gene, I know, obviously, you keep up with Lady Vols. You used to cover Lady Vols, too. And I know you've you've been watching and keeping up with what they've been doing to start this season. Obviously, Ray Burrell goes down against Southern Illinois. And 
Lady Vols have really, really struggled to find any sort of offense without her out there. Jordan Horston, though, this past game against USF stepped up huge in that game, especially in the fourth quarter. Lady Vols held USF to five points in that fourth quarter. Uh, they ended up, they were trailing by six heading into that final frame. They ended up winning by three. Defense was phenomenal. That gave her Tennessee. Um, like I said, Horston had a massive game, tied her career high, or I think maybe instead of career, I'm not sure. She she scored 24. I can't remember if that was a career high or tied her career high, but she scored 24, and I think 12, like half that came in the fourth quarter. A phenomenal performance by her. But Gene, I, I, I just want to get your thoughts overall on this team, because it looks like Ray Burrell is not out for the year, potentially. Has it been announce what exactly her injury is other than it's not a, it's not an ACL injury. But Tennessee, they, they've had a, a pretty rough schedule. I mean, UC, UCF's not not bad. USF was a top 25 team. That, that UCF game was on the road. And it was, you know, just a couple of days after they'd already played a, a game. Came back again a couple of days later at home and played a top 25 team. Now they're going to be hosting Texas, another top 25 team. Uh, actually, I think a top 15 team. Gene, I mean, this is a <laughs> talk about a brutal start to your season. Three games, three games in six days, and then your fourth game is against another ranked opponent and one of your toughest opponents on your schedule. I don't have my expectations have changed for this team with Ray Burrell being out, but that defense has been so good, and I don't know that you know I I don't know what the next few games are going to hold. I don't know what the next month is going to hold because I don't know that Ray Burrell comes back before SEC play begins. But I, I, I'm interested in your thoughts on this team and what they can be without Ray Burrell and just kind of what they've done without her so far. Because I've been honestly kind of impressed. I thought they'd lose against USF because they were, I mean, they did not look good at all in that game until finally, offensively at least, until finally they found something kind of near the end of the third quarter and then the fourth quarter, especially about the last four minutes of that fourth quarter, uh, they really came alive and, and Horston really took over. And Tamari Key was playing really good defense for a lot of that game too. And she, she had a couple buckets in the second half too, but... I rambled enough. Gene, uh, your thoughts on this team, and, and especially if they're going to be without Ray Burrell for a while. Yeah. I, so, Ray Burrell is your offense. Yep. Like, that's her job. I mean, she's a good she's a good defender as well, but your offense is basically run through getting her opportunities, and that's your best player, and she's out. And, it, you, know, I, you know, obviously it's unfortunate. You hope she gets back as quick as possible. But, you know, and it doesn't mean, like, Jordan Horston, if you want, like, a, a comparison for her, it's uh, like LaMelo Ball. Like, it's not – she's not the type of person who's going to give you 30. She doesn't want to give you 30. She, I mean, she you know, obviously she's shown that she can put the ball in the basket, but it's more likely that she has a stat line similar to, like, maybe 17 points, eight rebounds, six assists so, along those lines as opposed to the 25 points. But it was good to see that she has shown the ability to – okay, uh, she has shown the ability to score um, 25 in a game if need be because until further notice, the fact of the matter is, like, the way your roster is constructed, you need it from her. Yep. Like, you need her scoring. Because you look, once you get past some of these other pieces, you start to realize Tamari Key is a big. She's a good player. She's not a person you can really rely on on a bunch of scoring. Um, I'm trying to think of, you know, the Miles girl. Uh, great, good great player. defender, but she's not going to score. Amazing, and that, and that, and that's why the defense I think has been able to maintain because they've got the sorts of players that can go out there and be 
a headache defensively. Alexis Dye. I mean, like, as you see, she's struggling a little bit shooting. Now, look, the quality, but she's an amazing rebounder. That's just mm-hmm. toughness. That's who she is. Um, and, like, you know, Jordan Walker, same thing. You don't have people that you can just look to to score for you. I mean, your leading scorer off the bench is Sarah Puckett, who has played well. Hit a couple threes. I mean, she's shooting. You know, I mean, she's only taking 11 shots, and she's only playing. She's, but she's playing, like, 24, 25 minutes. That means she's a part of your rotation until further notice. That's why I'm so interested to see, you know, when I get it, when I finally get a chance to watch uh, Tennessee's games, men's games this weekend, I'm interested to see what the rotation looks like because you can mm-hmm. get everybody out there in some of those bigger games, but excuse me, but as the, once you get into the bigger games, that really determines what your rotation is. Cause that's when you show people who you are. And, you know, the women have had to get there a lot quicker because of the quality of competition that they've had. And then you, you know, tack on to that, the Burrell injury. And so, like, I think that's why they're having to lean and rely so much on the defense because you don't really have a shooter. You don't, I mean, they're shooting 14% from three. Um, yeah, they, they won that I mean, USF game without making a single three-pointer, which that's astounding yeah. to me. That's what I'm saying, and that's like an, that's a level of old school basketball that you know, like I think it, I don't know how aesthetically pleasing that is to a lot of people, but that's the reality. Um, that's where they are now, and that's what they're trying to figure out. And you know, like they don't have the shooters; they can go out there, they can get you some buckets, but you know, defensively they are legit. And you know, like. Teams, yeah, teams have made a ton of threes on. Well, I say a ton. They've made 19 in three games. Um, but it feels, you know, it feels like more than that. <laughs> well, I mean, but let the, but here's here's and here's exactly why. Uh, I don't have they teams have made 31 of 108 shots inside the three point line, mm. which means I'd say give or take. Let me see, 33. Uh, it's 11 out of over 36. Teams are shooting under 30% inside the three. So they're relying on threes to kind of keep them in games. Yep. And they're hitting shots. Like, those are things that, I mean, obviously you play better teams, they're going to be able to get their shots. But, like, but like defensively, they are going to be able to hang around a lot of these games because of how good they are on that end of the court. The question is going to be, can they get things figured out on the other end, can they find a, a person that they can rely on until Burrell gets back? Because I don't know what the answer to that question is. I don't know who it may be, but they're going to have to be able to lean on somebody, anybody, to give you the level of scoring that you're going to need to kind of hang around. Um, because, you know, you know, Da's giving you a little bit. Key is giving you a little bit. Your fifth leading scorer is averaging three points a game. Yeah, I mean, and so, like, your leading scorer is giving you 10 a game. Dodd's giving you 9.5, and she's shooting 32% from the field. And she's 17% from three. Like, they can give you a little bit, but can they give you enough? Can somebody, maybe it's somebody off the bench. I don't know. I I don't have a clue right now. Maybe it's it's Tess Darby. I I don't know, but whoever it is, because... It, like she's she's their three point shooter. Yep. Now she's right now she's two. Yeah, right now she's two of eleven. Yeah. 
<laughs> yeah, she's their three-point shooter, but she's shooting 18% right now. Can she get that number up to about 30, 35? Because that's what it's going to take. That's just the – I mean – like that's that's where this team is. Like, is if you can open that up, if somebody can be unlocked as a three-point shooter, that unlocks Die because now she has a little more room to work. And like I said, when she was signed, she's the type of person who who has the ability to kind of carve you up from 15 feet and in. That's who she is. Like, I mean, if she becomes an if she had become an amazing three-point shooter, you know what? In an in an off season more power to her but I kind of thought that what they were getting is what they've gotten so far a tough player who's an amazing rebounder at 6-2 averaging nine and a half rebounds a game is impressive I don't care who you are at that size nine and a half rebounds is pretty impressive and, and so or maybe I'm sorry is it I think it's nine and a half um, it's, yeah, it's not going to happen. She's also not six. You said six two. She's like six foot. <laughs> yeah, so, yeah. That's, that's, and that's what I was saying. Like mm-hmm. at six feet tall. I mean, like Jordan Horson's six two. That's what it was. Yeah, Jordan yeah. Horson's six two. Dies six feet tall, and she's in there battling and getting you over nine rebounds a game at six feet tall. Yeah, she's out like, rebounding Tamari Key right now. That, that's this. That's the same as EJ Inosiki out rebounding John Fulkerson or somebody last year. Mm-hmm. Like that's 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 essentially the equivalent, and, and that speaks to just how she has an elite skill there, not just a good skill, an elite skill. And so as I as I look and I start to study like what they are, it's really going to boil down to can they figure out somebody who can make some shots? Because eventually, like I mean, they're going to find not every game is going to be the battle. <laughs> as that they've had so far. Like, they're going to have some kind of walkover games coming up. I mean, yeah. obviously, Texas, Kansas, I mean, Oklahoma State, you finally get Tennessee Tech, who's a little bit better. They were their preseason second in the OVC, but that's one of those games. Georgia State stinks. Yeah. I can tell you all right now, Georgia State, Georgia State stinks. They lost to a Tennessee State team that was 0-22 last year. Um, yeah, I always I know that's because they played UTC – Tennessee State played UTC yesterday, and I was doing some research and saw that they were 2-1 and one with the win over Georgia State. So mm. ETSU has been struggling. They play UTC. That's that's not a good game. That's not a good team. I'm, again, cover them. I watch them. I see them. It's not a good team. Very young, very small. They averaged they had 26 turnovers last night in a win. So they're going to get some games. Like it, the, the fact that they are challenging themselves from day one is – is impressive to me because some people like if you look at how some coaches like put their schedules together like you know Barnes has kind of done this uh Calipari's kind of done this where they kind of ease into the schedule and then towards the end of the non-conference it starts to ratchet up a little bit um I don't know what Rick's thinking they, he went you know kind of cupcakes and then jumps right into Hall of Fames and all these crazy games and they kind of bounce back into some you know more in winnable games but um but like that's a credit to Kelly and the scheduling that she's doing is the fact mm-hmm. that they're not running away from anybody and so they'll get some stuff figured out they'll get some games to kind of you know to kind of get themselves right because now what what I've said about the men that we'll figure something out about them we're already starting to figure out about the women we're getting we're getting data far more immediately um with them yeah my biggest concern with this team 
is free throw shooting as it's been atrocious to start this season. Uh, they are hitting 52% of their free throws this year. Like no, no one's been good. You have, I got, I mean, Horson's been fine. She's seven of 10. Pretty much everyone else has been awful for the free throw line for Lady Vols. That's, that's, that's more concerning to me than even the three point shooting. Cause you can't make your free throws. You're going to lose some games that you shouldn't, you shouldn't lose. Um, Really quickly, go, I want to go back to the men's side just for a second here, Gene, because you talked about the rotation there, um, and you be, you'll be interested to see how that rotation does and what it is this weekend against Villanova and, and whoever they play on Sunday. I think this. I think you're right. I think this is a <clears throat> we've seen consistently Tennessee playing like ten guys, and it, it's been you know off the bench. You've had uh, Ziegler, Huntley Hatfield, Bailey, and Powell coming off and beating your main guys off the bench. Um, and then I guess Urosh off the bench for one game and started another one uh, because Fulkerson was out. So, but he's he's another bench guy for sure. I think this weekend I don't know that you see Urosh. <clears throat> I don't know that you really see a ton of Huntley Hatfield, but I think you do see him. I definitely think you see Powell and Bailey. But I think you know starting out the season, Kenny Chandler is only averaging twenty four and a half or twenty four minutes per game. I think this is the first game we see him get to thirty minutes. Because I think you'll you'll see Ziegler go in, but I don't think that Ziegler is quite ready for this <laughs> this level of play just yet. I don't think as pesky of a defender as he is, I don't I think he's going to be overmatched trying to guard uh, to some of the guards that Villanova has, especially Moore and Gillespie. Those would be the guys he'd be uh, most lined up against. I don't know that he would he's ready for that just yet. But I think this is a game where you see, like you said, the rotation pare down a little bit, and I think you see Tennessee starters most of them end up playing closer to, if not over 30 minutes. I think it's a game where Josiah plays 30 minutes or more, or you know, maybe 35 minutes or more. I think it's a game where you see uh, Kennedy play 30 minutes. I think it's a game where you see Viscovi out there for 28 to 30 minutes. So I, I think this is a game where you see that rotation pare down. I, I know you got to go, Gene, so I'll, I'll, I'll kind of end the podcast here. But I think well, let, let me let me add this real quick. Uh, yeah. Talk about that. Folks, if you're trying to figure out where I'm at, I'm actually calling for Christian and Farragut. For a basketball game, but so what I was going to say was, you've got to play Huntley Hatfield. Yeah, you have. To, you, you, he he has to get some minutes. Like you can say that about Euros and guys like that, but I don't think you necessarily have to have Euros in your long-term plans for this season. But Huntley Hatfield, if you are going to be the team that you want to be, he's going to have to get some minutes. So I don't care. He may go out there for 15 minutes and stink up the joint. You've got to get him those 15 minutes. That's just my opinion there because that's one of the guys. That's one of the gems of your class. You you know your recruiting class was ranked what it was because of Kennedy Chandler and Brandon Huntley Hatfield. Huntley Hatfield has to get some of those minutes. He's not going to be a complete detriment. He can do things. You know he could be a mismatch problem for them too. That's the reverse of that. Like they they may be able to find some ways to exploit him. But he has a way to be a mismatch problem for other teams too, because he can step outside and shoot, and he's you know athletic enough to do some things with the ball in his hands. So he's the type of kid that you have to play in this game. No, you're right. I, I said that kind of offhand, but I think you're yeah, absolutely I, right. I think I think they definitely do have to play him. I think you're right because he he is a guy that is in your long term plan for the rest of the season, um, and he's just talented. And he, he's a really talented kid. So I think I think you're right on that one. I'd be interested to see how much he does play. And, and what he can do and kind of what his role is. is he, does he take a couple threes in this game? I mean, he's only taken one so far this year, but does he take one or two in this game? Um, actually, has he taken 
he's taking one, okay. Um, does he take a couple? Does, does you know does does Josiah finally break out of his shooting slump where he's one of nine from three to start the year, three fourteen from the floor overall? Does he does he finally kind of uh, break out of that and, and do better? But um, it's going to be fun. And again, I, I think the rotation is going to be pared down. I think it's the starters will play more minutes than they usually have. But you do again, you have guys like Powell and Bailey coming off the bench that they also demand minutes because they can score, especially. Um, and, and especially Powell can score, and Bailey can too. But um, Powell's been hot to start the year from from three, especially. Uh, so, and, and he's got that length and, and just the athleticism he has to go get rebounds and stuff that other you know that Bailey just doesn't have that. Um, Powell that six six two oh five, and he he and he and uh and Josiah are built very similarly, both six six, both around that between the two two oh five two ten mark. Uh, so both those guys kind of have the same type of build, essentially. So Josiah's just a better overall player than Justin Powell is. Uh, he can do more on defense, especially, and he can do different things on offense that Powell can't. But that'll be where I end this episode of the show. Again, thank you all so much for tuning in to the episode. If it's your first time here, thank you so much. If it's not your first time here, thank you for returning. As I said at the top of the show, you can subscribe to the show if you haven't already, and follow us on social media. Signing off for Gene, I'm Nathaniel. This has been another episode of the Vol Basketball Fever Podcast. Thank you for listening to the Vol Basketball Fever Podcast. Subscribe to the show so you'll never miss another episode.